Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. It is uh, so great to be with you. Uh, I want to welcome you today. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors. Whether you're here in our worship center over in the Ridge, uh, welcome in with us as we uh, go on this journey together. I'm really excited about our, our time. We had an amazing time last night, and uh, I'm just anticipating a great time as we seek the Lord together. But um, one of the things I want to do is, uh, as we go into our time of teaching, inside your, um, your, your note sheet or your program is a green and white note sheet. So if you're new, we want to welcome you, and, and that'll help you follow along for sure. Um, but also today, as we, we go into prayer, kind of praying that God will be with us during this time, we want to pray. Um, you know, there's been like five major hurricanes this, uh, this fall, uh, three, you know, three really devastating ones. Uh, there's been the earthquake down in Mexico. There's just so much going on. And you know, it says in the Word that... Uh, that when we rebelled against God as a race, that all creation was impacted by that. And in Romans 8, it says, all creation groans, uh, waiting for its redemption uh, that will come with the, with the coming of Jesus and the, and the kind of turning of all wrongs to right. And in the meantime, there's all these things going on. So we want to be praying uh, for not only our own personal lives, our, our world here, but for just for the world and things going on. So we're going to go in right now, and I'm going to be praying for our, our time with the Lord, but I also want to be praying uh, for these things, and especially for what's going on in Puerto Rico right now. Um, it's obviously a hot spot. Even our government doesn't know what to do. So uh, we need to pray for that, all right? So let's, let's pray together. Father, we just want to come. We come in the name of Jesus. We come in the name of the King who rules over all creation. And Lord, we, we know you see all things, that as we worship you, you're omnipotent, you're omniscient. Um, you are able to see and do all things. And so we, we pray, God, for these different hot spots that have been impacted over the last few months uh, whether it's uh, the, the Caribbean or our own kind of south, southeast part of our nation or what's going on down in Mexico with this earthquake. And we just want to pray, God, that you would be uh, working in a supernatural way through your people and through your spirit um, to bring about healing, to bring about your kingdom. Um, we pray you show all of us kind of what our role in that is. And so uh, as we go into our time of teaching today, Lord, as we talk about the role of your spirit in our life, I pray that you'd open our ears, that we'd be open to what you're saying to us today, we'd be open to, to listen and follow. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today our story starts in a boardroom, and um, they're sort of perplexed. They're not really sure exactly what to do. For the last year, they've been looking for a new leader to lead their organization, and it's been a, a tough road. I mean, they They've done all the right things. They hired a top-level headhunting firm. Uh, they have been extremely diligent in their processing of potential candidates. They've, they brought many leaders in as, hey, would this be the right fit? But, um, but, but just kind of person after person, they're just feeling like it's not quite the right person. And so, so now it's been uh, over a year, and their organization is feeling the strengths. Um, they, they've been without this top leadership role. There's kind of a lack of vision. There's just a tension organizationally, and they really are feeling the pressure. We need to find the right person. And so this past week, they've, they've been uh, interviewing another candidate that's come on their radar. And frankly, they're very impressed. There seems to be a lot of simpatico. There's a lot of connection uh, naturally between this leader and their organization and their values and so on. And they, 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 they kind of love his character, and they, they love uh, sort of the resume and the experience and the gift mix and so on. But um, there's this one major glitch. And it doesn't have to do with the character, and it doesn't have to do with competence. It really has to do with their culture, the history of their organization, 
One of their key values that they've held dear for a long, long time. They're not sure that this is going to be a fit. And so they're meeting together to wrestle through that and say, do we keep moving? Do we keep looking? Or will this somehow work out? Well, today we are continuing this series that we've been in the last three weeks called 40, Charting a Course to Transformation. If you're you're brand new, uh, the the title for this series really comes from a couple different sources. Um, It it comes, first of all, a lot of you know that this last summer was a major milestone for us as a church. We passed our 40-year anniversary. A lot of churches never make it that long. And so God has just been so good to us over our history. And so we're, we're stopping to look back at what God has done and some of the lessons he's learned. So it's a, a, a kind of look in the rearview mirror at the gratitude for what God has done. But it's also a look forward because one of the things that we see in God's word is that the, the number 40 is a very significant number. It's often associated with times of change, transition, major crossroads. It can lead to either good or bad. So for example, the last couple of weeks, we, we talked about Moses, right? He goes up on the Mount Sinai at the start of the nation to receive the law of God, 40 days in 40 nights. We, we talked the next week about Elijah and how at a critical time in his life of great discouragement, God met him and he traveled 40 days and 40 nights back to Mount Sinai where God met him again and recommissioned him to a new era of ministry. If you were to think of the New Testament, you think of that we studied in our last series uh, about how Jesus, when he was uh, 30 years old, went down to be baptized. And after he was baptized, like Moses and like Elijah, sent into the wilderness, led by the Holy Spirit for 40 days and 40 nights, no accident, to prepare for the ministry he was going to lead. And so the number 40 often indicates this time of transition, a time of great opportunity, times of danger, times of uh, crossroads. And so we're not only looking back at this time to what God has done the last 40 years, we're looking forward and saying, what are the next steps in our journey as we pass through this kind of this wicket of 40 years and move into our future? And so if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that we've, uh, the, the, we've looked at two things. The very first week, we asked the question, what is God's vision for our lives as followers of Jesus? And what we saw is that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, that Jesus has a vision for each of our life. It's a big vision. And his vision that we would not uh, only come under his leadership as our king, and not only receive the gift of forgiveness for all crimes against the kingdom, but that we would receive this gift of his spirit, we'd enter into a transformation process uh, where the student becomes like the teacher, and the key to that was learning to listen and follow and to obey everything that he said. And then last week, we talked about the role of the word of God in this transition. We saw that in this transition process, the number one tool the Holy Spirit uses to conform us to the image of Jesus and change us is the Word of God. So we ask the question, uh, what is the Word to you? Well, today we want to continue the third step of this journey, and uh, we want to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in, the, uh, in this transformation process. And so there in, your, um, there in your note sheet, there's a section called Transformation, the Spirit's Role. And just to set the stage today, I want to start by looking at three uh, important uh, passages of the Scripture that help give us insight into the thinking, the mindset of the Apostle Paul and how transformation happens and the role the Spirit plays in that process. So the first two are on your note sheet. The third one we'll look up in our Bibles or apps. 
And so the first one comes from Philippians chapter 1. You notice there, uh, there's a section, you know, she transformation of the Spirit's role. So Philippians chapter 1, uh, famous passage. Some of you are uh, probably familiar with it. But the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Philippi. Now, he, he started this church about 10, 12 years before. They're one of the healthiest churches in the New Testament. And one of the ways you see that health is from the very beginning, like 10, 12 years before, they had helped support the, the, the Apostle Paul financially in his ministry and to help expand the kingdom. And so he's very thankful for this partnership that they've had with him in prayer and finances. And so he starts off by thanking God for them in this partnership. And he says, in all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your what? Your partnership, because you've financially partnered with me. And he's referring, if you go back to chapter 4, he talks more about that. He says, your partnership from the very first day when you first came to Christ until now. And he says, and I'm confident of this. And here's what our, our focus is. He says, I'm absolutely confident that he who began a good work in you. So who is that who began a good work in us? Yeah, the Holy Spirit, God, you know, Jesus, they're all kind of hang out. So, um, so Father, Son, Spirit, right? So, uh, yeah, so he says that, what I want you to catch is this, when you came to Jesus, something supernatural happened. That no one comes to Jesus on their own. Like if you're here today, you're a follower of Jesus, you're pursuing him. You're here today, you've not, not yet followed Jesus, but for some reason you feel drawn to God, hungry for God. That's why you're here. Something's drawing you. I guarantee you this is not on your own that uh, the scripture says no one seeks for God on their own. That if we're coming, like Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. So, so if you're here, if you're a follower of Jesus, he says that, that God began supernaturally. He began this good work in your life. But catch what he says next. He says, we're confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will what? Carry it on. When? Till Jesus comes back to bring all creation under his effective rule. Huh? So he says that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, and this is something the whole New Testament teaches uh, page after page, when someone comes to Jesus, it's not on their own. It's a result of a supernatural work of God, and that God not only starts that, he doesn't just start that and give you a Bible and say, hope you figure it out. That, that God is with you every step of the way in this transformation process. Now, if you go to the next passage, and it's the next chapter, Paul talks a little bit more about how this works. And so he says, so therefore, my dear brothers, as you've always obeyed. Now, we saw this last week, uh, two weeks ago, that when a, uh, when a person comes to Jesus, what does it mean to be a disciple? It means to come under his leadership and to learn to obey everything he taught us. And so this was a very healthy church. And so these people, from the first day come to Jesus, the overall pattern of their life was one of obedience, of pursuing after God. So he said, you've always obeyed. And look what he says. So as you've always obeyed, continue to catch this, work out your salvation. Now, I want you to underline that or circle that. That's really interesting. He's not saying work for your salvation. The Bible is clear we don't work for our salvation. Salvation is a gift. But he says we need to work out our salvation. Well, what does that mean? I like to put it like this. We need to work out what God is working in. In other words, that 
when the Holy Spirit comes in our, in, our, in our life, like in Philippians chapter 1, God begins this good work. He's continuing that work. And you know how this is? Like, you know how it's like you're sitting in a weekend service or spending time with God alone, your life group, you're listening to worship, and God is beginning to create a hunger for growth in your life. Something is coming on your life. He's beginning to kind of bring something on your radar, an area you need to grow, a hunger. And he says that, that God is working in your life. And so as God is working in your life, and he's, we'll see it in just a second, he's beginning to plant his desires in your heart. That as God is working in you, you need to work that out. You need to listen and follow what he's doing in your life, uh, which looks like obedience. As you've always obeyed, continue to work out. So he goes on to explain how this works. He says, so... Uh, you need to continue to work out your salvation. He says, you do this with fear and trembling. Why? Because if you realize who's at work in you, you take it very seriously. Right? And then he says, for it is, catch this, it's God who's at work in you. So in chapter 1, he said that God begins to work and continues it. He comes back to this theme in chapter 2 and says, hey, you need to work out your salvation because God is working in you. And how is God working in you? He goes on, he says, he's God who works in you uh, to do two things. Number one, to will. In other words, to put his will, his desires in your heart. That's what happens when we're growing. He's releasing new desires, new hunger for growth. So he's working in our will. And to act, uh, in the Greek, the word is the word work. It literally says he's working in you to work. So same word. So he's, he's not just re releasing new desires, his will, but he's also giving you the power to act. Amen. It's interesting, in the Greek, that word for work is the word energeo. It's where we get our word energy or energize. And so he says that when you come to Jesus, um, God starts this process of working in you, and he's working in you both to create a new will, his desires, and to energize you to carry out those desires. It's what we call listen and follow. And he says, and the whole point is to, uh, in order to fulfill his good purpose. So God has a purpose. We've seen this all three weeks. He, he's got a purpose. He's got a vision. We'll see it in just a second again. His purpose is you would grow and become like Jesus, be changed, radically changed, but you're not on your own in this. Actually, God is the one working in you supernaturally since you come to Jesus every day working and drawing. Now, the third passage we're going to look up in our Bible. So we're going to go to 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 3. And it's in verse uh, 17. So if you have your Bibles or apps, let's go ahead and open that up, turn them on. And uh, this is sort of a complicated passage, really. Um, and, and so it's, um, but, but it's an important one to kind of in, insight into Paul's mind, right? So, so Paul writes Philippians, Paul writes uh, 2 Corinthians, we're putting in this, kind of getting behind the scenes into his mind. And, um, and so uh, it's a complicated passage. We don't have time to kind of unpack it in all its fullness just because of time. But, but the big picture goes like this, is that Paul is contrasting the old covenant with Moses and the new covenant with Messiah, and what he says is both came with glory. Like the, the old covenant with Moses, when God came at Mount Sinai, incredible glory of God showed up. It came with glory. But Moses says, but it was a temporary glory. That covenant was temporary. And he says, you can see this represented in the face of Moses. Now, you may or may not remember this, but 
Remember when Moses would go into the presence of the Lord, his face would absorb the glory, do you remember that, of God? And so he'd come out and his face would be shining, and it was so bright people couldn't look at it, so he'd put a veil over it. The problem was is that you kind of missed the glory then, because you, you can't see the glory, and then it, it would fade, it would go away, so eventually it would come off, and so it fade. So, so you, you kind of never could really see the glory of God. He says, but in the new covenant, what happens when a person comes to the Lord and he uses this veil analogy, he says it's like the veil is taken away so we get to see the glory of God. He says, but um, we see the glory of God in the face of Messiah. And he said the amazing thing is, as we, that veil is taken away, when someone comes to the Lord, the veil is taken away, you see who Jesus is. He says, this initiates a transformation process. In the same way that Moses absorbed the glory, we absorb the glory from the glory of God through the, from Jesus. He says, but this is not temporary. It doesn't fade. It keeps getting stronger and stronger. So he says that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, this is what we've seen all the way through, that we enter into a transformation process. In fact, he's going to use the exact same word for transformation that we saw last week. Remember Romans 12? Where, where Paul says, God has a vision for your life. He's got a will for your life. It's good. It's pleasing. It's perfect. He says, but in order to experience that vision, you can't be conformed to your culture. You have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Same word. Remember, metamorpho. This, this process that a tadpole goes through to become a frog. I'll stop right there. Um, <laughs> and uh, so let's, let's put it together and see what he says. All right. So he says, but, verse 16, when, any, when anyone turns to the Lord, okay, you come to the Lord, look what happens. The veil is taken away. It's like our eyes are open. We see who Jesus is. We see the glory of God. Like, yes, this is God in Christ coming to us. And he says, now the Lord is the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not an it. Holy Spirit's not a force. Holy Spirit is a person, Father, Son, Spirit, right? The, the tripersonal God. So, so the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. This is what we've seen every week, that he's come to lead us to freedom. He said, and we all with unveiled faces, right? So, so like, unlike Moses, we want to put a veil on our face. We get to contemplate, experience the Lord's glory. We're, we're, and he said, and we are, look, present tense, we're being what? There you go. There's our word. He says, you enter in, the moment you come to Jesus, a veil comes off, you enter into a transformation. Notice the verb tense, being transformed. It's an ongoing process. And he says, what's the goal of this transformation? It's what we've seen every week. We're being transformed into his what? Image. Or okay, your likeness. All right. uh, so we're becoming like Jesus. It's what we've seen every week of this series. And catch us, we were being transformed with ever-increasing glory. In other words, like if someone is a Christian and they're not changing, something is wrong. Right? So no, like if you take your son or daughter to the doctor and they're eight years old and they haven't grown in two years, they're, they're, no, they're not taller, they're not putting on weight, you know what? Something is wrong. And when a follower of Jesus is not being transformed into ever-increasing glory, if we're not different than we were a year ago, if we're not different than five years ago, something is wrong. In the same way that that child is sick, we are sick. Like something is 
desperately wrong because God's vision is transformation. And Paul says that when we come to Jesus, this should be an ever-increasing glory. We should be more and more like Jesus with each passing year. Are you with me? Okay, I'm going to come back and build on that. But all I want to do right now is establish a foundation. And the foundation is, as we get into the, the mind of the Apostle Paul, is you take these three passages, Philippians 1, 2, and 2 Corinthians 3, and you put them together. Paul says, here, let's put them together, that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, that's the result of a supernatural work of God. No one does it on their own. And that when we come to Jesus, our eyes are open, you know, the veil's taken away, that we begin this process. And God who started it will continue it. He's in charge of it. And he's actually working inside of us to put his will and his power to change. And the ultimate goal is we transform to be in his image. And look what it says in, in, um, in 2 Corinthians 3, the very last thing. He says, ever increasing glory. And where does this, this come from? It comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the general contractor on the job who is in charge of this transformation process. So if you're a follower of Jesus, that means that this day and every day when you wake up, you have a transforming agent in your life who's in charge of your personal transformation. And then every day he has a vision for your life and every day he is working and every day he is energizing and every day he is desiring to speak to you and he's putting his desires for change in your life and he's giving you the power to act. And so if we're not changing, it means we're not listening to the general contractor. It's like, it's like the plumber's going, nah, I'm not going to do that. You know, I don't really, electrician, no, I'm not going to do my job today. That, that God is working, and this is the vision, and so this should be a natural part of our life. Now, having laid that groundwork, what I want to do today is I want us to take the next step in this journey as we chart our course to transformation, both our personal lives and as a church, and uh, to get at this, I want to focus today on our seventh value as a church. So the last two weeks, I've mentioned to you way back in 2007 to 2009, we went through a long process. We're seeking God for his vision and values to lead this church in the future. We, we introduced those in 2009 in that series, The Movement. And so if you were to go to our website, you were to look at our seven core values, our first one we dealt with last week, which was the word embracing the truth. This week, we're going to jump to the seventh, the final value, which is the supernatural experiencing God. And as I've said every week, what we're doing in this series is we're not taking the time to unpack every line of our vision statement, unleashing the movement, right? And we're not going to take time to do every one of our seven values. We don't have time for that. What we're doing is just kind of settling down. I picture like a helicopter settling down on key parts of the vision or certain values where the Holy Spirit is, is kind of putting in our hearts as a leadership team, these are the next steps as you chart a course to transformation in your future, both individually and as a church. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section called Transformation, the Supernatural, Experiencing God. And so I want to start with two big picture principles today as we launch into this and then come back as we've done the last two weeks and ask one big question. Now, the first one may seem kind of obvious. Hang with me. It goes like this, that as a church, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, you may be saying, well, wait a second. Doesn't like everyone 
believe in the Holy Doesn't any Orthodox Bible-believing church believe in the Holy Spirit? And of course, in a sense of orthodoxy, the answer would be yes. Like anyone who would sign off on the Nicene Creed or you know, sign off on one of these, these great creeds of Christendom, of Orthodox, we sang it to get together. You know, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the, uh, the God the three in one. So any church is a Bible-believing Orthodox church would say, we believe in the Holy Spirit. And I get that, but what I'm saying is we don't just believe in the Holy Spirit in a theoretical, theological sense the here at Rocky Peak, we believe that the Holy Spirit is the key to the whole Christian life. We believe it's through the power of the Holy Spirit we are born again. We believe it's through the power of the Spirit we are transformed. We believe the Holy Spirit is alive and well, and he will lead us, and he will speak, and he will guide, and he will heal, and that the Holy Spirit is the key to the whole transformation process. Now, we want to unpack this a little bit, and to get at this, I want to share a story with you, and it's really the story that we started the day with. It's the story of this, this board who's meeting and trying to figure out uh, who should be the next leader to come in and lead their organization, and they're really torn because it's been a year, a year and a half without a leader. The organization is showing the strains of, of not having that top position um, and, and yet they don't want to just settle for, for, for anyone. They, they really want to kind of stay true to their, their vision and values. They put a lot of thought into this of who this uh, person should be, what kind of qualities. And so now they've got a candidate who's finally come across their path. They really think it's a great fit. And yet there's this one major glitch. And so you may have picked up on this, but this is actually part of our story as a church. So if you were to rewind the clock, let's go back to 2003. Some of you are here. Probably most of us weren't here. But back in 2003, this church had gone through a major leadership change. It was a very painful time in the life of this church. And so it was time for the elders to find a new lead pastor. And so they entered into a great search process. And they did uh, uh, just a, a great kind of job with the process. They, they hired a, uh, a top-level Christian search firm. Uh, they formed a group prayer team to be praying over this decision. They formed a great search committee, and they began the process, right? And so uh, a year, a year and a half, and candidate after candidate, resume, I'm going through hundreds and hundreds of resumes, and, and then calling out the best ones, and going through an interview process, and just feeling, uh, you know, kind of person, it's not quite right. They've done a, a great job of saying, who do we really want and what, what kind of leadership abilities and what sort of vision and what sort of values and, and what kind of resume and experience. And they'd, they'd really done a great job at like thinking this through. And so person after person, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the right fit. And meanwhile, the longer it was going on, the church was feeling the strength. You know, of having different teachers coming in every week from the outside. And it was just, it was just difficult in, in a lot of ways. And so they're feeling that pressure. And there was a pressure to kind of, comp well, maybe we need to compromise the values. Maybe we need, maybe we're looking for something too much or whatever. And so it's at that point in the, in the uh, winter, of the two, uh, January of 2005, that Lynn and I re-engaged in the process, right? So we, we had, you know, early on been part of that process, decided it didn't sound like the right fit, but through a series of events, the Lord made it really clear that we were to re-engage in this process. And so we came up in, in January of 2005. 
Uh, I came up to meet with a search committee initially, had a great first meeting. We both felt it was kind of really like, kind of like love at first sight. And, and, so, um, and so we had a great time. And so they recommended to the elders that, that they pick up the process. And so they, they brought Lynn and I up here for several days of interviews. And they went incredibly well, but there was one major glitch. And at the time, I honestly didn't even realize what a big deal it was. But it had to do with the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and it had to do with this, what became our seventh value of the supernatural. And to understand this, if you go back in time, Rocky Peak, as far as I understand it, had always been what we call in theology a cessationist church. Now, some of you are familiar with that term, some not, but let me just kind of explain it. So a cessationist church, I mean, Rocky had a tremendous love for the word, right? But the, their understanding of the word was that there are certain spiritual gifts, we call gifts of the spirit. God gives to his church to, to do kingdom work. You know, he, he gives each of us these gifts to, of his spirit to kind of advance his kingdom, to build the community of Jesus. That there are certain spiritual gifts that kind of went out with the early church, right? So that there are certain gifts, and usually these are called sign gifts, and so they're, they're gifts that are more obviously supernatural. They're all supernatural, but more obvious. So gifts like prophecy, gifts like a word of knowledge, uh, gifts like maybe uh, visions or tongues or interpretation uh, or healing, that these kind of gifts, uh, uh, they, they were designed for the early church, given to the early church to help launch it before the Bible was kind of finished, but that once the, the Bible was established, that these gifts were no longer needed, and so those gifts no longer exist. Now, this, uh, you know, obviously, was kind of not where uh, I was coming from. It was not uh, my experience, not Lynn's experience, not our understanding of Scripture. And so, of course, this came up in these interviews, and so um, I honestly thought it was resolved. I, I shared with them, you know, I can, first of all, I completely understand why this would be a concern. Because if you rewind the clock 20 years, uh, I know this was only 12 years ago, but if you rewind, say, 20, 30 years ago, this issue would split a lot of churches. And so they were very right to be concerned about that. But I share with them, I'm actually coming from a, a very you know, large church, much larger than Rocky Peak, and, and we've had people in our church that have these gifts and people that don't have these gifts, and it's really not an issue. It hasn't been an issue. I really think it's the way that you teach it or approach it, and as long as you don't teach or believe that there's certain one gift that everyone needs to have in order to show you have the Holy Spirit, then it's not really an issue. And so we talked through this in that, uh, one of these meetings, and I really thought it was resolved. Uh, I didn't realize what a big issue it was. Now, it was interesting because after that meeting, uh, the, the, these meetings that went great on both sides, we all left, and, and we, Lynn and I said, we will pray and see if we feel like God is you know, taking the next step, and they said, we will do the same. And so um, we, Lynn and I flew off to Hawaii where we were both serving on a board of a, kind of a parachurch organization, and I'll never forget the call I got about 10 days later. It was on a Sunday. It was from the chairman of the elder board. He's still on our elder board, and, 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 and I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, Michael, you are really challenging us. He said, but honestly, that's what we're looking for. Amen. We're looking for a pastor who will challenge us. He said, so we have gone back to the word, and we have studied the word of God, and we have prayed over this, and we've come to the conclusion that you're right. And so we want to invite you to come and be our candidate to present the congregation. 
Okay, tell you this. Yeah. Uh, last night I told the story a little bit differently. And uh, mainly the same way, but at one point I said, they did a great job talking about, oh, they did a great job, and everyone's like busted up. But uh, anyway, it's like, no, no, I mean, the process was great. Now, here's what I want you to catch. What I want you to catch, this was a critical crossroad in the life of this church. Not, not because Lynn and I came, because God could have led us somewhere else. It was critical because the leaders of this church went back to the word of God. It's our first value, right? We talked about it last week. And they said, even though this is different than what we've been taught or what we believed in the past, as we go back to the word, it really seems true. And so we're going to embrace this, and we're going to open ourselves up in a new way to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our church. Men and women, that was a critical crossroads, whether we came or not. And I'm telling you something that... Uh, from that point on, God has led us, hasn't he? And we can see that. And this has become more and more an important part of our church. And to where today, you know, if you've been here any length of time, you kind of know this, that listen and follow is part of our vernacular. It's, it's, part of, it, it's like our unofficial motto as a church. We, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe he's alive and well. We believe he will lead us, he will guide us, he will empower us, he will teach us. We believe he has a vision for this church. It's all about his vision, it's not our vision. Our job is to come under his leadership. We believe that the Holy Spirit is the key to the transformation process. And I was thinking about this week, in the last few weeks, I've been thinking about, I think it's so beautiful because if you want to understand Rocky Peak, Maybe one of the best ways to do it is to look at our first value and our last value. Because our first value is the word, embracing the truth. Our last value is the spirit, right? It's the supernatural, experiencing God, the spirit. And you take, if you can combine the word and the spirit, you've got some dynamite, right? right? And so what I'm saying here is, is with this first point is I just want you to understand where we've been, but I believe this is going to be critical for our future, for your life and for my life, if we're going to be moving into the future God has for us, if you're going to move into the future God has for you, in your family, in your marriage, in your career, in your giftedness, in your impact for the kingdom, if we're going to grow together, it is so critical we learn how to listen and hear the voice of the Spirit. Amen. Because it's going to be critical for our future. Now, number two. The second one is where it begins to get pretty practical. Number one, it's actually kind of easy for most of us to say amen. Number two, finds out if we're serious. So uh, <laughs> no, number two is the Holy Spirit leads those who listen. And this is one of the most important lessons the Holy Spirit's been teaching us for many, many years now, is that, um, that the Holy Spirit is not only alive and well, um, but he only leads those who are ready to listen and by listen, I mean, in a biblical sense, listen and follow. And so um, this is critical. Like, if you want to be transformed, if you want to experience the power of the Spirit, it's not enough to believe the Holy Spirit's alive and well and, and will lead us. We have to learn how to listen and then follow. And so Jesus talks about this. Uh, the last night he was with his disciples before he was arrested, of course, he's preparing them for this traumatic event. They don't know it's coming. Later that evening, he's going to be arrested 
and, and then all things everything's gonna you know kind of all hell's gonna break loose, and you know kind of the story, right? And then so he's preparing them for the future, and one of his most uh, um, important topics so he comes back to time and time in the last evening, and you see it from John 13 to 17, this last evening description of what happens. Time and time again, one of the most important topics on the table is the Holy Spirit. And so um, there in your note sheet, there's a, this is how he starts the conversation. He starts in chapter 14. Um, he, he comes back to it in 14. He picks it up again a couple times in 16. But um, this is his first thing he says about the Holy Spirit to them. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. So what does he call the Holy Spirit? a counselor, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Now, I want to unpack this on how about three things from this passage, right? First of all, I want to talk about this word counselor. If you were to look through several different Bible translations, you would find several different translations of this word counselor. And the reason is it's a very difficult word to translate into English, largely because it, needs, it depends on its context, so, for example, in Greek, the word here is actually two words in the Greek. It, it's a, like a preposition that's put with a, in a verb form uh, that becomes a noun. So it's, it's, uh, the, it's called the, the, the preposition is the word para, P-A-R-A, and then the verb form is kletos, like uh, K-L-E-T-O-S. All right, so uh, parakletos. And so in the Greek, what it literally means is one that is called alongside, okay, para. You're alongside, Kletos called, called alongside. And so the thing is, is that, well, what, what does that mean? Well, it depends on the context. Like if it's a legal context and you're called alongside, then you're like an advocate, maybe like an attorney. Right? Uh, if you're discouraged and one is called alongside, it's like a comforter. If you need help uh, and someone's called alongside, it's a helper, see? So that's why if you look at different translations that will translate it like counselor, helper, advocate, comforter, um, and, you know, I like the word mentor, but no one uses my word. Um, anyway, uh, so, you know, variety of things. So the question, okay, so one called alongside, but could you help us more? Like, what do you mean? In what way? And so the next thing I want to point out is the descriptive word in front of counselor, which is another. So he said that I will, I will send you another counselor. Now this helps us a lot because when Jesus said, I'll send you another counselor, it implies that there was a first counselor, right? So who would be their first counselor? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. And so now this helps us understand what the parakletos is, that what Jesus is saying is, I'm leaving, but you're not going to be left as orphans, as he puts it, that I'm sending another parakletos. So I've been the first parakletos, I've been there, and, and so Jesus has been what? Their leader, their guide, their teacher, their rebuker, their convictor, uh, their kind of the, the one who gives them insight, like he's been all of that. And so what he's saying is, I'm leaving, but I'm sending someone else to do what I used to do. And the good news is that I was living with you on the outside. The parakletos will come and live on the inside. And so he says, actually, in John 16, so actually, it's to your benefit that I go. It's like he's like the internal Jesus, 
right? So in the New Testament, the Spirit's often referred to as the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus. In fact, later in John 14, he says, I will leave, but he says, but I will come back to you, and the Father will come back, and we'll make our home with you. And so you have this picture of the triune God coming, and so the Holy Spirit is the one who takes the presence of Jesus, and he is the one who becomes our parakletos, the one who comes alongside to lead, guide, and so on. And so much of John 14, 16, this is what you expect from the Holy Spirit. He will teach you, he will guide you, he will convict the world of sin, he will do what I did when I was here. And then the third thing I want you to notice is who gets the parakletos. And so if you go back to the beginning of this passage, remember this is the very first thing that Jesus says about the Holy Spirit in this last night. He says, if you love me, you will what? Obey Obey what I command. So this is what we have seen the last couple weeks. That Jesus over and over again defines what it means to be a Christ follower. So we saw this in Matthew 28, the first week. There's to be a follower of Jesus is to come under the authority of King Jesus, all authority in heaven and earth, and we learn how to obey everything he said. And last week, we looked at John chapter 8, and Jesus said, if you hold on to my word, remember that? You meno, you remain, you stick with my word, then you are really my disciples. How do you know if you're a disciple? If you hold on to the word. And if you do, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so here again, the third week in a row, we're going to see Jesus define what it means to be a follower of Jesus. How do you know if you love Jesus? How do you know if you're one of his? Look what he says. If you love me, you will what? Obey. Obey what I command. So what happens if I raise my hands and am really passionate in worship, but I don't obey his commands? What happens if I come to church every week and never miss, but I don't obey his commands? Well, what does it say about me if I I join a life group? I serve in kids' ministry, but I don't obey his commands. Are you with me? Jesus says, if you love me, here's how we'll know you will obey my commands commands. Now catch this, obviously not perfectly. We're all going to fail. 1 John 1, 9, right? If we say we're without sin, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful. We're going to all fall. But he goes on in chapter 2 of 1 John to say, if we say that we know him and do not do what he says, we are a liar and the truth is not in us. I think we all know the difference, don't we? Like, we, we know this. We, we know, like, when we're growing and trying to pursue Jesus, but we fall and we fail. And we, we ask God to forgive us. We feel bad about that. I really want to grow. Like, we all know the difference between that and saying, I know what you want, and I'm not going to do it. Right? It's a difference. Like, we know that. So Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. So let's flip that over. So What does it mean if we don't do his commands? It means we don't love him. So we can deceive ourselves. We can say, well, but I'm saved. I went forward when I was 11 years old at a camp, and I did this. You know, there was a fire there, and I 
I raise my hand. Or and Jesus, well, that's great, but that's not how we kind of evaluate things here. What we evaluate is we, we, we kind of evaluate whether you really love us, whether you're, you love me, you're committed to me, whether you're mine, we evaluate it by whether you do. Because if you don't do, then it's just words. And you're living a lie. You're pretending to be something you're not. And so, then he, so, so what I want you to catch is that what we really have here in this passage is another if-then. Remember last week we saw in John 8, if you hold on to my words, then you're my disciple, and then chain reaction, you'll know the truth and the truth is me. We got the same thing here. He, just, he doesn't use the word then, or at least this translation doesn't, but it's if then. He says, if you love me, then you'll obey. And that kicks off a chain reaction. And he says, and then I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. And so what does it mean if we say we love Jesus, we don't obey? Well, Jesus is not going to ask the Father. I believe there are so many people in our country that would see themselves as followers of Jesus, but they don't experience the presence of God. They don't experience the leading of the Spirit. They're not being transformed. They don't experience God's putting his will and his energy into their lives to change. There's nothing going on, and they're a little bit perplexed. But the problem is we got off on the wrong foot. We started the journey with the wrong assumptions. The reality is we've never loved Jesus. And we've never really surrendered our life to him. And that's why we don't experience the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so this is what you see all through the Bible. And we don't have time to like document it, 18 verses, but we certainly could. That God leads those who listen. You will search for me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. How many times does God say that throughout the Bible? And so this leads us to one big question then. So the first week, the one big question um, was, what's your vision? Do you remember that? Um, Jesus has a vision for your life. It's radical transformation. You come under his leadership. You receive the Holy Spirit. You learn to obey. And as you obey, student like the teacher, you're transformed. That's the vision. So we asked, what's your vision? And said, anything less than that is too small. Last week, I asked the question, what's the word to you? We saw that the word is the primary tool that you, the Lord uses in our life. It was for Jesus, it was the way that we're set free from slavery. It's the way he prunes our life to be fruitful. It's the way we're sanctified and made pure and go out and change the world. It was his final authority. So we saw what it was to Jesus. I asked the question, what is it for you? Remember I said, it's not a guilt-producing thing. It's just you just need to know. We, so we, we figure it out. What, what the word is when the word comes in conflict with culturally held high values. Well, I've got another self-diagnosis question for you today. And again, this is not a guilt, you know, shame on you. This is a self-diagnosis. Do you want to be transformed? Well, then you need to know where you're at. And so the question is very simple. And it goes like this. Are you listening? And you say, well, how do I know? Because once again, this is an area where it's really easy to deceive ourselves. It's really easy to say, yeah, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and I believe, and I'm really listening, and the reality is we're not. And so how do you know if you're listening? The answer is very simple. If you're listening, you will be changing. 
Because it's very clear, as we've seen today, that God is at work in you. He began a good work. He's continuing that work. He is working in you both to will and to act for his good purpose. When you came to Jesus, the veil was taken away, and you're being transformed into glory and to glory. This is, this is what happens. This is what naturally happens as we continue to listen and follow. And so if that's not happening, if you're not changing, something is wrong. We're like the eight-year-old that hasn't grown. Now, let me say this just, to, just real quickly. Uh, sometimes I think that change can be slower during other seasons. I, I get that. And sometimes, honestly, we're the last to see it. Those closest to us will see it faster than we will. But having said that, the question is, as you look at your life, as those closest to you look at your life, are you changing? You say, well, like what? Well, are you becoming more like Jesus? Well, like what? Well, let's start with his character. Remember, he works on one area at a time lot, so I'm not saying all these areas are changing at the same time, but let's talk about his compassion. Let's talk about his kindness. Let's talk about his purity. Let's talk about his humility. Let's talk about his gentleness. Um, are your values changing, your priorities, your schedule, what's most important to you, the way you handle your finances, the way you deal with a dating, approach a dating life, the way that you approach your kind of sexual life, um, the way that you do relationships, the way you handle conflict. Um, how about your passions? Are you growing in a passion for God? A growing in this passion for his word? I want to know him more. Are you hungry to grow? Is worship growing in your life? Are you, are you learning how to, to love people in new ways? Are you... Um, Becoming more passionate about his kingdom and advancing his kingdom and using your gifts to advance his kingdom? Are you developing a deeper hunger to share Jesus with those who don't know him? Is your prayer life growing? Now catch this, I'm not saying all of these. What I'm saying is if we were to sit down at Starbucks and I'm saying the last year, what's the Lord been doing? What's he teaching you? Where are you growing? Would you say, well, here's the three things he's been really working on this year. I'm excited about this. Or would you look at me with a blank stare and say, wow, I don't really know. See, in the American church, we've gotten to where we're used to not growing as a norm. We're used to like being boring as normal. Yeah, I'm a bored Christian. I used to really be into this, um, but that will pass as you, the longer you follow Jesus. I used to be like you. I was excited too, but then you move into midlife Christianity, and you get a big pot belly, and you, you just kick back, you eat the Pringles, and you just kind of wait for heaven, right? And we go, well, hey, everyone around me has a big pot belly spiritually, uh, Everyone around me is bored. Everyone else cares more about the Chargers and who cares about that. But everyone cares about the Chargers than they do about Jesus in growing. But that's kind of normal. Men and women, this is not normal. You were purchased with a price. 
The blood of the Son of God purchased you for a great destiny. He has a vision for your life. He's got a vision for my life and it's complete and it's radical transformation. And if we are not growing, something is wrong. And so, are you listening? And if you can't say I'm changing, self-diagnosis, no condemnation, this self-diagnosis, something is wrong. You were created for more. You were not designed to be bored. You were not created to be mediocre. Right? You know, there in your note sheet, um, Oswald Chambers, one of my favorite writers, catches, he says, the golden rule for understanding in spiritual matters is not intellect. It's obedience. Obey God in the thing he shows you, and instantly, the next thing is opened up. And catch this, God will never reveal more truth about himself until you have obeyed what you already know. If things are dark to us spiritually, it's because there is something we will not do. Sometimes, men and women, we get used to not hearing from the Lord and we think it's normal. What's really happened is there was a time two years ago, three years ago, 10 years ago, we said no to him. We said, no, I will never forgive that person. I'll forgive everyone. No. We said, I will not submit my sexual life to Jesus. I'll do any of it. No, I won't do my finance. Again, everything else. No, I won't serve. There's something we said no. And you know what? When you say no long enough, the Holy Spirit says, all right. Our hearts become hard. Look at the next quote from Henry Blackaby. What you do immediately after the Spirit speaks to you through the Word is critical. If God speaks and you hear, but you do not respond, a time could come that if you hear God's Word and you don't apply it to produce fruit in your life, even what you... I'm sorry, I think I missed something. A time could come when you do not hear his voice. If you hear God's word and you do not apply it to produce fruit in your life, even what you think you have may be taken away. That's why many times a 30-year-old believer is more immature than than they were two years. They know a lot more, but they're less like Jesus now than they were 28 years ago. So if you hear God's word and you do not apply it to produce fruit in your life, even what you think you have will be taken away. Be careful how you listen to God. Remember, fear and trembling. God is at work in you, fear and trembling. Don't take that lightly. Be careful how you listen to God. Make up your mind now that when the spirit of God speaks to you, you will do whatever he says. And men and women, as we cross this 40-year milestone, I'm telling you how we respond to this word today, both in our own lives and as a church, will determine our destiny. Let's pray. Lord, we are here under your leadership, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit, who is the one who unpacks and enlightens the word that turns the light on so that we can respond and be changed. And as we come now, we enter into your presence, we seek you, we enter into a time of inviting your spirit to come. We pray you'd meet us 
as we give our offerings, as we bring our tithes, meet us now as we pray your presence into this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Lord, I believe that you've heard our prayers all over this worship center, all over the ridge. You've heard our prayers. God, I believe there are hundreds of prayers that have gone up in this place saying, God, I want more. And we want to be transformed. We want to be changed. We want to be like you. And we want to join you in your mission to help change the world. We want to be world changers. God, and we're just hungry for that. And so, God, we pray that this week, I, I believe you're going to, in this next two weeks, you're going to begin to speak to us. You're going to begin to show us what that next step is. You're going to begin to show us what that obstacle holding us back is. There are going to be steps of surrender that are going to unleash new movements of your spirit as we surrender and obey your commands. And so, God, we pray. We pray for a fresh anointing of your spirit on our lives, on our families, on our ministries, on our place of work, on our community, on our neighborhoods, and on our church for the sake of your name and your fame. And everyone said, amen. 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 It is so awesome to be here with you in the presence. I love that. Just that's where we're in the presence. And in the presence, things get changed. In the presence, the, the God who hovered over creation and called out things that were not. In the presence, God speaks life to things that were dead. In the presence, he calls forth out of the grave. In the presence, he gives vision. In the presence, he gives courage. Men and women, we today, we're in the presence of God. And we're going to go out of here and we're going to continue to live in the presence. In Latin, quorum Deo. We are going to live quorum Deo in the presence. Not just this day, but every day. And as we listen and follow what is dark will be enlightened and the next step will be revealed. And as we listen and follow, we will be transformed from glory to glory with ever increasing glory from the Lord who is the Spirit. Amen? Go and be transformed in the name of Jesus. God bless you. Amen.